It's game week, Notre Dame, Ohio State. Monday, August 29th is today. The game is on Saturday, September 3rd. Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson, as we kick off our game week preparation. Notre Dame named captains over the weekend. I guess it was Friday when they named captains. Um, and then we had an opportunity to speak with Tommy Reese and Al Golden on Saturday, and we just came back from Marcus Freeman's press conference inside Notre Dame Stadium. Guys, let's start with uh, let's start with the naming of captains: Jarrett Patterson, Avery Davis, Michael Mayer, Isaiah Foskey, Bo Bauer, J.D. Bertrand. No, I, I don't think anything's shocking there because Bertrand and Bauer are leaders of a very uh, leadership-filled linebacker core. I had been saying Jack Kaiser, but I mean certainly Bo Bauer and J.D. Bertrand are, are, are worthy of of being part of the six captain group that will represent the 2022 team. Yeah, Bo Bauer. I mean, I would have been surprised if Bauer wasn't. Um, Kaiser and Bertrand, I, I think I would have guessed Kaiser over Bertrand. But other than that, these are the guys you would expect. Um, I, would, I would have been shocked if Bo Bauer, the fifth-year player <laughs> who's been involved for so long, wasn't he? Is, he is really dialed into uh, what Notre Dame is doing as a program for the last couple of years. That would have been... That would have been a surprise. Uh, Houston Griffith, I thought, was possible because uh, he seems very well-respected, but I would have been a little surprised if it was Griffith. And um, Michael Mayer, you know, that was the all-time guarantee, right? Yeah, Mayer, too good. D- yeah, too Mayer good. definitely too... fell in the too good not to be a captain Jones exactly. category of leaders. Um, yeah, I, I think we talked about it last week. I, my hunch would have been Kaiser over Bertrand, but then next year Kaiser and Bertrand would be right. like yes. stone-cold captains, and they still will be. It's just it's Bertrand this year, and Certainly would be Kaiser next year, I would think. The tradition continues of not just multiple captains, but lots and lots of captains. I don't think it's and going I, away. Yeah. That's no, the, it's not. It's not. And I, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Those are saying it should be one or two. Why? You know, I mean, that, that was I wrote a story this morning. Traditionally, it was one captain, then traditionally it was two captains. Look, it is what it is. And and the the one thing about the current state of the Nordic football program is there are many worthy captains. Uh, of this football team. And so, um, yeah, yeah. You know, Cow- Kaiser could have been included in that, but the, the six that were chosen, Jason Adam Alola, uh, there are some others, Michael Vinson in a, di- in a different year and a different time when Notre Dame is playing a different level of football, he might be a captain as well. Um, we just met with Marcus Freeman. The depth chart is out. Let's uh, let, let's talk about the depth chart a little bit. I don't now, is there, there anything surprising there? Maybe some oars that yeah. are tied into some names. Tim, go ahead. You're the uh, you're the depth chart guru here. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, after talking to Pete and some other people, I guess I'm not overly shocked by the Joseph or Henderson thing, but I'm surprised by it. Gr- Brown and Griffith was an absolute guarantee that was going to happen. Yep. Um, yeah, in my preview of depth chart, I, I just thought Tariq Bracey would be listed as an oar in one of the spots because – those three guys are rotating. I mean, it doesn't matter who. Yeah, they're not listing nickel. You know, I mean, maybe they should start expanding the depth chart to include some of the specialty alignments. Yeah. And when you look at, um, I guess, the Will linebacker, you would not have thought Kaiser would be the backup with Orr, Kali, and not Bertrand there. Although, you know what? One month ago, if you said it was Bertrand or Bauer in the middle, it'd have been, yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, it's just all of camp. We didn't right. See that. And people are surprised to see Rover, J.D. Bertrand, but they were cross-training all month, it was obvious those four guys were the linebackers. That's why I asked Al Golden about it. It was clear he wants to play those four linebackers. 
he has to play a fifth, it's Tui Halamaka. If he has to play a sixth, it's Prince Kali. And this week is huge for Prince Kali, according to Golden, for getting in there. And when people see Rover and Bertrand, uh, just to stem the tide of a Thursday question we don't want to have to answer, the Rover is also a strong side linebacker. If I just said J.D. Bertrand's playing strong side linebacker, nobody would blink an eye. You say J.D. Bertrand's playing Rover, everybody thinks he's playing Rover on second and 15 at the 18-yard <laughs> line. You know, it's like that's not the situation. So there you have it. Strong side linebacker back up. I would still put a, quite a bit of money that your starters will be Bauer in the middle, Bertrand at Will, and Kaiser at Rover on I Saturday agree. night. Yeah, uh, I agree. With Leofile rotating in. I mean, it's worth noting Jared Patterson is on there. Marcus Freeman still said he was questionable and will just resume practicing this week. So he's definitely sat for a while. Um, you know, and I think it's probably another personnel. Uh, maybe they should change it. Question point with the receivers. Like, I don't know if you would put Styles, Thomas, and Lindsey all out there at the same time. Maybe you would. Um, you know, if one of them has to play like kind of more of a slot position. But um, I, yeah, love I understand why Thomas is listed as a starter. I just think like if you had to go for a true slot receiver, I'm not sure that he would be uh, yeah. the choice. Yeah, I think he's the he's the boundary receiver. They want a right. bigger receiver out there. And so that's why they list him that way. As far as the linebackers. Yeah, I mean, as Tim said, I mean, it was they, they cross train the entire preseason just for this you know situation right. that they're they're going into as the season begins. So. I think that's all good. I wouldn't read. There is a tendency to always read too much into a depth chart put yeah. out, especially one, not, not the one that you put out Tim O'Malley, but the one that Nordane puts out because, you know, there are some reservations in some instances to list some guys here or there. Uh, and I think too much is read into them many times, but. Uh, yeah. And I'm not saying my depth chart is in any way better than Notre Dame's for what's going to happen, but it is a wide receiver. Go to my depth chart. And I just listed the eight wide receivers in a row, how many snaps I thought they would get by yeah. comparison. I guarantee you, I absolutely guarantee you, Tobias Merriweather gets more snaps than a ailing Deion Colsey. Well, there's, yeah, there's no, there's no doubt about that. I mean, he's clearly in the mix. And even a healthy Colsey wasn't clearly in the, well, he was in the mix, in the but mix. Yeah, yeah. not a guy right. that they were just going to consistently run out there like, you know, the confidence that you have in some of the styles and, and Lindsay and even Thomas to, to a large degree. Um, on Saturday, we had an opportunity to speak with Tommy Reese. I did for my resource Tim O'Malley spoke with El Golden. Uh, O'Malley, you start because you, uh, you insist that uh, Golden's a better interview. So let's yeah, go ahead and start with that. Sure. <laughs> Pete and I were with Golden and I read the Reese transcript. I was like, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> it was bad. Yeah, short it, straw on this one, pretty sure. <laughs> no, there's play. There's well, you'll see it this week. There's plenty to write about there, yeah, no, including I'll, conversation I'll, about the four two five that that yeah, Jim Knowles. Uh, Al Golden offering information like you know when I ask him about the backup linebackers and he says Junior's been there from the beginning. Collie sidelined a little bit. You know he's banged up. Now we know in retrospect it's concussion. He said that's the five and that's the six. And then, you know, right there, that's the cutoff. We said that's helpful with the depth chart. It's like that's the varsity linebackers for Ohio State week is those six guys. We don't have to start reading into it more. Eight, nine, ten defensive linemen are going to play. Eleven probably in September. You wonder if they'd pair that down, Pete, to eight and a half, nine, because you're playing Ohio State. Maybe you're not rotating in your third strong side defensive end in such situations. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think it's on the depth chart today. I think you've got what? 11 guys listed you know it's 
Aaronsberger, Rubio, uh, Batello. I don't know how many snaps there will be for those guys on Saturday night um, over the course of the season, for sure. Right. right. But, um, you know, certainly you come out of camp, you, you know, whether you're talking to Al Washington or Al Golden or just other people around the program, you get a sense that they feel pretty good about um, having at least seven or eight. I mean, when, you know, we, we've been out of practice, I think that, you know, Nana Safamensa has played quite a bit. Um, so it's, I think he's, I thought he would probably be the eighth guy. I guess we'll see uh, how the snaps go on Saturday, but regardless of whether they have eight, nine, 10, 11, they have, they have enough. Um, they have a nice, what should they have? What I think should be a pretty nice rotation at that position. I think you guys would agree with me that if the, the opponent in game one was somebody other than an Ohio state, some normal, right. <laughs> some normal opponent, all 11, Oh, for sure. Would definitely yeah. play. And they still may. I mean, I can I can still see Aaronsburg getting in there for for a few snaps. Um, you know, uh, it's uh, kind of interesting. I don't know. I, and this may be an L Golden thing. They don't they don't list a nose tackle defensive tackle. They're both listed as as defensive tackles for, for whatever that is that is worth. Notre Dame is now a I believe it opened at 14 and a half or 15 point underdog. They are now up to a 17 and a half point underdog. Uh, it's going in the wrong direction for Notre Dame. It's going in the right direction for Marcus Freeman because he fully intends to, uh, to even refer to that as early as today, according to his comments uh, at, at noon today, he'll refer to that when he's speaking to his team. But what do you guys, I mean, aren't you a little bit surprised that it continues to go in that direction? I, I am because I think that Notre Dame has, done a pretty decent job of narrowing the typical gap between Notre Dame and Ohio state, but the betters apparently see it otherwise. You know, Douglas farmer mentioned today when uh, I guess people were probably asking him questions about why would it be this big? Like let's say Ohio state's just a team that goes out and scores 42 points against everybody not named Alabama and Georgia, right? You could see 42 to 24. And it being a really good game, and it becomes 42 to 24 because Ohio State is up 34 to 24, and Notre Dame's driving in the fourth quarter to do something, and then it doesn't work out. Ohio State goes down and scores. It's I mean, it's hard to say an 18-point game is ever a good close game, but I could I, Ohio State and Alabama, they have that type of speed where you could be down by 10 points or seven points even going in the fourth quarter, and all of a sudden it gets away, right? And I think that's what I think that's why these lines grow with teams that just roll out of bed and score 42 points. It's, it has to be sobering that this line is more lopsided than Notre Dame Toledo last year. Like Notre Dame is a bigger underdog to Ohio state than it was a favorite against a Mac team uh, last season. So that's, that's what the gap perception is. I think that, and I asked about this today, like for how much time we spend parsing the Oregon game and the Michigan game. It's not like every other game Ohio state played last year. It was 52 to seven, whether it be the Rose bowl or Penn state or Nebraska, like they don't roll out of bed and score 48 points every week. They can't, I mean, they, they can, if they're in the mood for it, but um, so yeah, I 17 and a half seems like a huge line. I think the last time Notre Dame won a game where, the spread was that big and they were the underdog was the UCLA game in 2007, which is near and dear to all of our hearts. Um, 
So, but I, I get it. It's just, this is just a, this is a math question, not a bias question or anything like that. Just this, that's where the money's going. Casinos want to make the money. So the line is what it is. I, I would be surprised and maybe more than surprised if Ohio State scored 42 points against Notre Dame in the 2022 opener. I don't think they will either. I'm, I'm explaining, we're asking people to explain why it can be a 17 and a half point spread between Notre Dame and Ohio State. It's because people expect Ohio State to score 42 points. They don't expect them to score no, I, no, I, 31 I, 10. I mean, that's right. Yeah, I understand. I understand where you're coming from. Maybe it's more a reflection of it's it's a more it's more of a reflection, perhaps, of what the betters think Notre Dame is going to score offensively. Thirty, you know, what are they thinking? 37, 17, 42, 21, you know, that Notre Dame can't can't score like that. And that wouldn't, I mean. Now that, you know, that wouldn't shock me because this is an offense that's in transition starting at the quarterback position. I expect I expect Tyler Buckner to um, do a lot of good things on Saturday, but how many can he do over the course of, of 60 minutes and then with the ever-present Ohio State offense coming back onto the field, if they get on a little bit of a roll, it could be concerning. But, I, you know, I still think that – I think that that line's going in the wrong direction. And um, you, you know, mean from an accuracy standpoint, from an accurate, yes. From an accuracy standpoint, I think it's going in the wrong direction. What would surprise you guys more Ohio state scores 42 or Notre Dame scores 13. Uh, 13 is low. Yeah. 13 is pretty darn yeah. low, man. That's say, one touchdown. That's I think 42. You said 35, I'd have a problem with it. So 42, youth, Ohio State scoring 42 would be more surprising to you than Notre Dame only scoring 13. Yeah, I think against Ohio State's defense with a first-time coordinator in a game where they don't know what they're going to see from Notre Dame's offense, I would be surprised by that. You know, everybody says, like a first-time coordinator says, they want to simplify it. And Jim, you know, I think Jim Knowles is saying something similar or the Ohio State insiders are saying, something similar to that. And then invariably just no matter how much of a, there's always a transitional period with it, with a coach. I mean, he says things, he demands things in different ways. He wants things done differently. There's always a bit of a transition there. Um, you know, and, and I, and that that's true of Notre Dame as well with Al Golden, even with Marcus Freeman as the head coach and working in, you know, hand in hand with his, his coordinator. I don't know, man, this is, uh, you know, you've got the first time starting quarterback. You've really got a first time head coach for Notre Dame going into a real, real hostile territory. Um, I just, I, you know, I, I, in, in years past when Notre Dame's played Alabama and Notre Dame played Clemson in the postseason, we all predicted Notre Dame to lose decisively. I just not, I'm not looking at this game that way right now. This segment of Iris Illustrator was brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, located on Freeman Street in historic downtown Vegas. Circa is the home of the world's largest sports book where you can watch up to 19 games at once. Want to be outside? No problem. There's no better place to take in all the college football and NFL action than Stadium Swim. Six pools on three levels and a 40-foot tall high-def screen to watch all the action. Irish fans, when you come to town for the Notre Dame-BYU game, Circa is the place for you. For reservations and more information, 
go to CircaLasVegas.com. Segment two coming up, burning up the boards. This is Mike Brown, former Notre Dame leprechaun, here to share the Leprechaun's Game Day at Notre Dame, an officially licensed children's book that celebrates the magic of a football Saturday at Notre Dame. Follow me on an adventure from Step Off Under the Golden Dome to ND Stadium with this perfect gift for fighting Irish fans. Visit www.lepgameday.com and enter Irish to get your author signed copy today. Go Irish! Here's another Irish tale presented by Do Dublin Tours. Visit dodublin.ie to book your tour today. There was a period of time in the 19th century in Ireland known as the Golden Era. At its peak, Irish whiskey accounted for 60% of the whiskey sold all over the world. Irish whiskey sales sadly declined for a number of reasons. The introduction of mass production in other countries, using more advanced technologies that the Irish were reluctant to use, along with the War of Independence and Prohibition in the US. The Irish were reluctant to speed up the process, opting for quality over quantity. As a result, the last distillery in Dublin closed in 1976. If you'd like to know more, do Dublin with Do Dublin Tours. Burning at the Boards is brought to you by Game Day Your Way. Notre Dame football fans, make your trip to South Bend easy this fall with the help of Game Day Your Way. Services include tailgates, transportation, tickets, and more, making Game Day Your Way your one-stop shop for Notre Dame football weekend. Learn more at gamedayyourway.com and use promo code IRISHPOD22 and save 10% on your tailgate package. Segment two, Burning Up the Boards. We begin with a question from Jim Juneco. And it's pretty important. Will Jarrett Patterson be ready and effective? Also, let's say there are two seconds left in the game and Notre Dame needs Blake Groupie to hit a 48-yarder for the win. How confident are you? We expect Jarrett Patterson to give it a go once they go contact this week or it'll be light contact on Tuesday or or Wednesday. Uh, We said when the injury occurred that we were doubtful uh, as to his ability to play, certainly at 100%. I, I, I correct me if I'm wrong here. Marcus Freeman originally said doubtful, and today he said, "I know what he said today." He said questionable. He said questionable last time. He did. Did he? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, man, are you sure? Yeah. I, I believe yeah. you. I believe you. Um, but so he's list says questionable. I think, I think he'll give it a shot in practice, and they'll go from there. I've never been confident that he was going to play, and or he was going to be able to play uh, near 100. percent Pete, what are your thoughts on that? I, you know, I, I would be surprised um, if he played at a something close to hundred percent on Saturday. Uh, I, I guess in, in some ways I'm, I'm surprised that he's going to practice this week uh, based on sort of the, the nature of the injury and the fact that he was in a cast for a very short amount of time a couple of weeks ago. So it's, you know, you lose what, two weeks of, week and a half of conditioning and week and a half. Now he's, it's like I, if, you, if you can't practice this week that, that you cannot play on Saturday night, like you can't just skip the game plan install uh, and then roll out there and play. It's not how that works. There is some level of conditioning that he has obviously not on his feet, but there is yeah. some level of conditioning that he's been doing off to the side when we were in there for practice. And obviously he can do upper body strength stuff. So he has been very, very active during that 10 days, but not, not the kind of active that he needs to be um, against Ohio State. So we'll see about that. As Probably for the uh, Tim, yeah. Spindler is uh, listed as his backup from move. It's Chris Topics at the uh, backup 
right guard behind Interesting. Lark. First one I've seen. Um, you know, I mean, I'm sure Spindler played plenty of left guard in, in camp, but he played right guard in the last viewings we saw. That's the only way we can say it. I mean, there's – it was Kristoffic at left guard and Spindler at backup right guard. Right, yeah. Yep. I mean, I think it's relevant that he's listed there because, I mean, Kristoffic was replaced by – Carell, right? That's how you look at it. He wasn't replaced by Patterson. He was replaced by Carell. So True. Yeah. I guess we'll uh, have to dig onto that one a little bit. As far as Groupie hitting a 48-yarder, I think our attitude is a little bit different than it, than it once was, seeing that he's a hot kicker. We went out there the other day, and he, he banged four in a row. And then we listed uh, – we didn't follow up on this, or maybe I did somewhere. It wasn't Josh Bryan with the, with the second kicks. It was Zach – Yoakum, who is is a walk-on and has done a really good job. If you look at the depth chart, he is listed as the number two kicker. But as far as your confidence in, in Blake Groupie, I mean, I still have my doubts about him kicking a 48-yarder with two seconds to go in Ohio Stadium. But uh, I think that he has raised the confidence level of pretty much everybody that's been around in, in the last week or so. Yeah, it's probably similar to – you would ask at the beginning of camp last year, what's your confidence in Jonathan Dorn nailing a 50-yard walk-off field goal at Florida State? You'd be like, heck no. Uh, and then camp goes on, and you're like, okay, I feel a little bit better about it. But when the moment happens, I don't, you know, I don't think confidence would be the right word, is be like, I'm only confident that he can make it. That's different than I'm confident that he will make that's it. That's a good that's a good way of putting it. And I think that, you know, like I've been saying all along, I just went to the Northern club in Milwaukee and said, don't expect a 50 yard field goal this year. Uh, but you know, I mean, it's gotta be the right situation. Probably, probably more so in inside Nordame stadium than something than somewhere else. But uh, I think that he's clearly Blake groupie has raised hopes a little bit here in the last week to 10 days. I bet you would be uh, pretty cool with him attempting a 48 yard field goal to win or tie that game. Yeah. No yeah, kidding. No I feel like, no I mean, kidding. we've been saying that for like nine months. <laughs> I'm confident in a lot of things if he's out there attempting a game-winning 48-yard field goal, whether yeah. it goes in or not. Yeah, good point. Good point. Question from Rocket Mania 28. How much of a disadvantage does Nordame's secondary have versus Ohio State's wideouts after practicing versus a very limited wide receiver depth chart most of fall camp? It's relevant. It's why when we say iron sharpens iron and the offensive line, the defensive line make each other so much better. There's only a couple wide receivers that are trying to make all the corners and safeties better. And that's the reality of the situation, but going against Lorenzo styles all the time and Braden Lindsay's speed and Tobias Merriweather's leaping ability that it was, it was, wasn't a whole bunch of walk-ons they were going against. Right. It was just tough for reps. It was tough to have consistent quality, challenging reps for Notre Dame's five corners that are on the varsity right now and four safeties. But Notre Dame only rolled out four scholarship receivers at times or five scholarship receivers at times. I would, I disagree. I, I think it's really overrated because if iron sharpens iron, Ohio state secondary would have been incredible, like the best in the country last <laughs> year. And instead they fired their defensive coordinator. So but Notre Dame says iron sharpens iron. That's yeah. Okay. Well, Notre Dame says that. Thank you. Um, but I, yeah, I just don't, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, and when I read this question, I was like, man, this guy really wants to blame Dell Alexander for something. Uh, just, just to like kind of keep that, uh, that discussion point going. I don't think you can completely discount it because competent, you know, I mean, that's why you compete in practice. So I think you lose uh, a, a little something there, certainly. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, 
most people, most, most teams have a, a, a disadvantage going against Ohio state's whiteouts, regardless who you practiced, <laughs> practiced against. So it's, it's going to be a challenge, but you know, I think Notre Dame's secondary is wow. About as ready as they've been for a, a few years in, in terms of just talent and depth and, and, um, experience back there when you add all of it together and then some young guys that you feel really, really good about. Uh, but we'll see because they're facing an extremely accurate quarterback question from produce seven. There have been mixed reviews about Tyler Buckner's performance in practice, but the consensus seems to be that he's improved since last year. What is the biggest area in which you've observed his improvement? Mind the, I mean, keep in mind the question, what is the biggest area in which you've observed his improvement? Accuracy for me. I mean, I felt like so much when we would watch him last year, I felt like sometimes he'd be aiming the ball. Um, now I see him go out and throw it and throw it on target. So that's, that's an improvement. Uh, that that's the biggest improvement that I've seen from last year to this year. Yeah, certainly not running because he was already very impressive as a runner. What, I mean, you start ended blue and gold game thinking that's that kid's getting 10 rushing touchdowns regardless of how the season goes. So I really nothing I could see in camp would make me think he improved his runner. He's a very underrated one. Um, maybe confidence could do something. I think, uh, I think that'll always be something last year that I thought when Tyler Buckner went in the game, he had to be in a special situation. So it was, maybe it was their confidence in him and his confidence in himself that he had to be in a particular situation to enter the game. I think he's you find when you're a starting quarterback from the last three weeks of camp. I guess it's not fair. We didn't see the last three weeks of camp, but from the beginning of it where you're in a competition, I just found him to be like a guy that seemed like they had command of things, uh, even though it was 11 on 11, no huddle with uh, out tackling to the ground. That was when we kind of saw him uh, out there kind of running the operation. Pete, the, the, the accuracy that you've observed in what, what was the setting? Was it live? Was yeah. that in red zone? Yeah, it was live. It was the second practice we watched. The seven on seven when they were having trouble completing a pass? No, uh, he hit Lindsay on a slant over the middle uh, and then hit Mayer in the flat to convert a third down. Like it just like the ball came out and went where it was supposed to go. Um, and I think last year, I just, I didn't see a lot of conviction in his throws last year. I just, I just felt like when he let it go, he was hoping it was going to go to the right spot. Um, now I feel like there's much more like, okay, I know where the ball needs to go. I know how to get it there. Yeah. And I think, you know, Tim, you talk confidence and I, I, don't, I mean, I don't think you were talking about observing his confidence per se, you know, but, no, I, no, but no. I, right. But I, I mean, I, I'm pretty confident. I'm pretty confident that when people say that, including Tommy Reese, that his confidence has increased since he was named the starter. Yeah. I, I I buy that. Now I, I just, as far as observation of greater accuracy, I, I I can't I can't make that claim because I I, I mean I, you, Pete, you're referring to three three passes in one one series, and I I just I I can't say that I've observed a, a sharp increase in accuracy. But hopefully you're correct and I'm wrong. And then we will see what happens at Ohio State. Irish kid 23. How do you predict the Ohio State defense will defend Notre Dame? Stack the box and stop the Notre Dame running game and make Tyler Buckner prove he can be an efficient passer or just play traditional defense? 
Well, the, these two uh, propositions are on like opposite ends of the spectrum. So it's going to be some somewhere in the middle of that, certainly. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think, sure, if you're Ohio State, I don't think they're going to stack the box per se, but I think they go into it thinking, yeah, we're, gonna, we're going to uh, gear up to stop the run a little bit more and make Tyler Buckner prove that he can beat us with his arm. Uh, somewhere in between is reality there. But I think certainly, yeah, they're going to, uh, you know, be, especially considering some of the issues that Ohio State had against the run game last year. I would stack the box. I mean, it's, I don't, I don't know why you would come out playing nickel against Notre Dame. Um, I, I, you, there's no reason to do that. You're susceptible to them going to tight ends or moving Mayer around and creating matchups that way. Um, yeah, I would, I would force Buckner to beat you with his arm. Um, I would probably throw in some looks where there's a spy at linebacker um, and just sort of read the quarterback and, and yeah. try to take him out that way. I, I think that's a good point. I yeah. would always have eyes on Buckner because you don't want to get beat by Tyler Buckner's third and seven QB draw where he picks up six and they get to go for it on fourth and one somewhere on the field. And whatever defense they have, I would have an extra set of eyes on number 87. Well, especially since they're going to want to man up on Nordheim's yeah. receivers which means they could turn their back on Buckner. And so all the more reason for a spy, somebody to keep an eye on. And Michael Mayer makes it tough to have a spy because you have to have an extra. You can spy all you want. We'll have one guy on Michael Mayer right. too. That's fine. Right. Yeah. They have a problem with that. But as you always said, it's more than one thing. Just like Notre Dame is going to be way more than one thing. They're going to show them a lot more looks than what you see on the first drive. A uh, question Maybe. from from okay. mb4 uh l golden plans to be on the field this year who are his eyes upstairs does that decision help freeman manage the game was it part of the decision and you no talked to golden I'm, yeah you yeah. talked to golden saturday he, he clarified some of this yep he likes being downstairs he said he likes <laughs> all problems as they happen and he can look into their eyes and solve problems uh chris o'leary the safeties coach was upstairs last year they really like him in terms of viewing the passing game um from the upstairs and then gold kind of clarified they haven't figured out the whole crew yet is the word he used but like if al washington is down then his assistant mike moon will be up which leads me to believe james laurinitis will be up over mike whoever aids mike mickens if mickens is up or down but the other one's up it, make, it makes total sense yeah it's just i mean it's a preference by coach chip long was down clark lee was up elko was up i'm sure right yeah he um was. Yep. you know freeman was down it worked out for him um you know, order was down Greg Gordon was down. I mean, he's a stroke of genius there. Um, Diaco was up, I think. Uh, it just, you know, it's just a matter of preference. I personally, I can't imagine trying to call a game from the field, but um, <laughs> these guys know a hell of a lot more about football than I do. I, I Well, I, I agree with you there, but it takes a trained eye to be able to look through the weeds at what you need to see in order to make a call as a, as a defensive coordinator. Hey, part of this question was, does that decision – uh, for Golden to be on the field, uh, help Freeman manage the game. No, because if he was up in the box, Freeman's got a two-way headset, then he could he could talk to him up there. So that's not. I mean, yeah, you know, could could they talk face to face? Yeah, but they they would communicate uh, just fine if if uh, if Golden was up upstairs. Good question from Irish fan 151. Which player are you most intrigued to watch in terms of how the staff will utilize him? Patello, Leofau, Tyree, or Mickey? Uh, Bracey, <laughs> I would, I would throw in there because 
is he a corner? Does he play nickel? Does he play both? Um, you know, the coaches like to talk about how he's played Nick played nickel safety and, and corner in the, in the same game against Virginia tech, uh, you know, Batello, I, although frankly, I, I just, I don't know where they are. I don't know where he is in terms of his contributions when you're behind Isaiah Foskey and, and Justin Adamalola. Yeah. Those two are both in a package together or most packages together, which would theoretically limit Botello. But uh, I am intrigued to see how Botello gets used this year, though, because, you know, but there, at times when he's attacking, like the Wisconsin game, and he looked looked viable. And at times when he missed his assignment, the Wisconsin game, there was a 47-yard play down the seam. So you got to clean those things up. Um, I kind of feel like I know how they're going to use Tyree and Leofau. At least I hope so. So I wanted to see if Jaden Mickey can – how much are they going to bring in Mickey and Morrison against these guys? Probably not a ton. I wouldn't think so. I mean, right? you, you know, I mean, if you you have the luxury to do it, but I'm not sure how you're going to create the luxury to to do that. Look, they're both sharp, but you know, you got to be really careful going into a situation like this. I'd say, I mean, I am intrigued how they would use Leah Fow or Tyree because, like, I mean, Leah Fow's hasn't really done much in camp, um, but he was he was. He would have been the guy on this podcast last year before he got hurt. They'd be like, who are you most interested to see have a breakout season? And then Tyree, it's it's not just how you use Tyree as a running back. It's like, do you use Tyree and estimate together? Do you put Tyree in the slot? Do you motion Tyree out of the backfield? All Like, all that is really interesting to me. I, yeah, almost, no. I think that's all guaranteed almost for Tyree. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but I would like to see it. <laughs> you want to see all the ways this happens, huh? Well, and, you know, how much do they use Logan Diggs? Just how comfortable is he with that shoulder? Uh, estimate, you know, I still think that he gets gets his uh, a fair amount of, of touches uh, just because he's a he's a different back than than the other two and a guy that has had, I mean, you guys have heard, he's had, he's had a really good camp. So I'm interested, definitely interested to see that. And then, you know, I guess the rotation at safety, I, I have a hard time believing that it's Brandon Joseph or Ramon Henderson. I, I maybe it's just though. I not, not because I, not because I, I mean, I love Henderson's skill set. 85 snaps. It's probably Brandon Joseph for 70 snaps or Ramon Henderson for those 15 snaps. Right. I mean, you, if he's running deep and covering people, you gotta, if they actually trust him and maybe really it's those other three guys opposite Joseph, but I don't know if he's playing 85 snaps. Question from Irish from A2. If Nordame wins in Columbus, the story of the game will be? Um, Notre Dame's pass rush is effective for four quarters. I mean, is it too uh, no, Actually, Notre Dame's defensive line pass rush is effective for four quarters. It can't just be the pass rush because you can't compromise yourself on the back end the whole time. Mm. I mean, it's like, is it too boring to say like Notre Dame was plus three in turnovers? Um you know, if it's like if we're writing about a player, aside from whoever created those three turnovers, um, I mean, it, like it'd be like an Audric Estime story because he had 18 carries for 127 yards and two touchdowns, which is a huge ask for somebody who has not really done anything since he's been at Notre Dame, even though he's had a very good camp. But I, I think it's going to have to be something ball control, something that would inflate the number of rushing attempts Notre Dame had. Um, and I, I don't think Tyler Buckner running for his life is going to cut it. You're going to need something from those backs. 
obviously Buckner has to be productive. He has to protect the football. O'Malley, I agree with you about the pass rush. I was going to say the secondary, like we'd come away saying, damn, the secondary played well against their receiving core. That will be tied hand in hand with what happens up front. Where we, I think we all think that Notre Dame has a chance to put a, a, a pretty good pass rush on C.J. Stroud. And it's important to remember that Stroud does not want to run. So if you put him under pressure, I'm not sure how much he was off the top of my head, how much he was sacked last year. Uh, but I think at any, the, the, any success Notre Dame has defending the pass will start with Foskey and the guys coming off the edge and, and the guys on the interior winning the battle there and freeing up those outside guys. Yeah, I almost, I totally agree with Pete on the, on the estimate thing, but I really think you have to find a way where Pete, when you say they don't roll out of bed and get 42, you got to find a way they don't roll out of bed and get more than 31. Can can that be because Jason Adamiola and Riley Mills are every bit as disruptive as Isaiah Foskey is in this game if Foskey's double teamed? You know, yeah. is, is it- No layups. Yeah. Can't give up layups. Yeah. ND 10-12. What do you think Tommy Reese's initial game plan will be for Ohio State? A heavy dose of trying to play bully ball with two tight end sets or go over the top with five wideouts? Yeah, five are, wideouts. Again, those are... <laughs> Those are extremes. There's, you know, I, I clearly Notre Dame and, you know, Marcus Freeman flat out said establishing the running game today. Um, yeah. I mean, you somewhere in between lies reality though, because there's too much in Tommy Reese's playbook. Yeah. I think if Notre Dame can line up and run, well, they'll keep lining up and running yeah. the football, I guess. But I don't, I, I think we talked about this the other day that, you know, slow the clock down and, and, you know, don't run the ball and because you, your running game might get stuffed and all that stuff has to be in the, in the rear view mirror for Notre Dame now. So I don't think, you know, I don't think there's an extreme one way or another here offensively, but clearly you want to be able to, yeah, you're going to test that, that defensive line. If you run it, you're going to run it. You're going to run it a little bit more. Uh, and the best way to have success throwing the football is, the running backs having success and Tyler Buckner scrambling and doing some things and off the read option and stuff like that. And remember the 12 package and two running backs does not mean you have to run the ball. You can definitely pass out of the 12 package to your wide receivers into Michael Mayer. Yeah. That's what I, yeah, maybe that, that would be a deeper cut story of the game. Yeah. If Notre Dame wins, it's because they were incredibly efficient in 12 personnel that has to happen. And that doesn't need to be, like you said, running the ball, which I, I, I think that they can be, I think efficient they can 12 be. personnel. Yes. Yeah, totally. I do. I do question from pin and poll. What is more likely Notre Dame's offensive line gets the best of Ohio state's defensive line or Notre Dame's defensive line gets the better of Ohio state's offensive line. I mean, I think the latter, I know that the, I guess the issue here is you can get the better of their offense. The defensive line could get the better of Ohio State's offensive line, but C.J. Stroud could still hit somebody for 27 that's, yards. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. If you're breaking it down, though, and you say, did the defensive line get a push? Did they hold their own? Did they set the edge? I think, yeah, I think they will do that. But it's everything else that happens. Yeah, I would agree. And it's like, you know, this the Stroud stuff, it's like, well, did you get pressure on a play where Stroud got strip sack? Like, that. That's a that's a layup in your direction if you're Notre Dame. So it's... The first one, I think the offensive line, I mean, how many seasons have we covered where we said, oh, it takes three games for an offensive line to come together, yada, yada. Like, 
that still applies to Notre Dame. This is not a super experienced offensive line in terms of guys in starting in their current position. So it um, it may take a moment for the offensive line to get going. And Notre Dame's defensive line, I think, has a chance to be great right away, not great three games into the season. I agree with pretty much everything you guys said. And, I, you know, I think the gap might be – well, it would be, it'd be closer – if Patterson was healthy, but that, you know, that, that throws a wrench into things uh, as well, but Nordame's defensive line against Ohio state's offensive line. I, I think they can make some inroads there, especially with the depth that they can run out there. From Jim underscore Booney CRS. What's your read or take on Phil Dracovic's comments about his Nordame experience in the coaching, anything to read between the lines in his quote. I, I, <laughs> I don't know that there's anything to read between the lines. <laughs> it's right say. there. It's all pretty much, it's all pretty much out there. Um, what do we make of it? I generally agree with Dracovic. I was surprised he did it. Uh, Cause I feel like he's been very measured. And when people ask him about Notre Dame and he'll say, you know, I struggled there was kind of fell in love out of love with football, but like kept it pretty general. Um, this was, you know, Brian Kelly, Chip Long, Tommy Reese, all. He went after all of them and that um, Kelly and Long by name, Reese uh, sort of by inference. But if on your if you're on Notre Dame staff or even if you're a Notre Dame player who's been around for a while, you're like, whoa, um, this. This caught your attention. Yeah, and a lot of the defensive line has been around for a while. Yep. You know, I. I mean, we know Long was tough on his guys. He was tough on Dracovic. Um, I don't think Kelly offered a lot of support to Dracovic. I give Reese a bit more of a, of, of a pass. He was a new quarterbacks coach. Uh, I don't think, I don't think Dracovic's anger or animosity is directed towards Reese nearly as much as it is the other two. I would agree. And that, I think that would be justifiable. Jay Bolt 250. If you had an 11-point lead midway through the third quarter and all the momentum, would you attempt an onside kick? This, of course, is in reference to Nebraska's visit to Dublin to play Northwestern when they went up by 11. You know, if they recover the onside kick, we never even discuss it. We never say, God, it took Scott Scott Frost a lot of guts to, to make that call, and they made it work. But if you're going to do it, you got to be successful. It's like, you know. If you're going to swing on a throw 3-0 pitch, you better hit it hard. And uh, they weren't even close to recovering it. The one kid for Northwestern, he di he diagnosed it right away. He jumped all over it. And, of course, Nebraska lost their momentum and lost the game. And Scott Frost is – I mean, it's really, it's really gotten pretty ridiculous the way they lose games and lose one-score games. The, the, the program is, is – it's pretty ridiculous right now. No, I would not attempt it. It's not a good idea if you try it and recover it. It's just not a good idea. Doesn't make any sense. If you recover, we never talk. Nobody talks about it. Oh, I, I we I would be talking about it, and I think it would be like, oh no, my god, would. they finally no, got a would. break, as if it, like there no skill was involved in it at all. Like he was due after what, nine straight one score losses or something. I mean, it's just what's going on there is completely ridiculous. I'm surprised too. I actually thought he would work. He would work out. Well, I mean, and think, but okay, think about this decision and what's going through. He's got to be thinking. I mean, it, it, it's human nature with 
with all the difficulty you've had in winning a game, you've got to be thinking, oh my God, we've got to recover this. And they weren't even close. I mean, did <laughs> I saw I saw like they weren't even close to recovering it. And it was completely diagnosed. It's 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 a it's a ridiculous program right now, led by a guy that is not, going, much is, longer. is not going to, is not going to survive this. I don't think, look, Hey, one loss, everybody said, Oh, this is going to be how many people listed. I did the athletic list them as one of the most improved teams in the country in 2022. I've seen a lot. I don't know if it was you guys. Did we? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it was you guys, but I've seen a couple people uh, or a couple outlets list them as such. And so I imagine you can bounce back from this, but my goodness. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a ridiculous program. It's a ridiculous program. We're going to wrap up with a question from Denver Maximus. One game never defines a season, especially the first game of the year. This game at Ohio State has that feel of a must win, fair or not. What will it mean for the rest of the season if Notre Dame wins? What will it mean if Notre Dame loses big? Must win. Yeah, I don't I don't look at it that way. As a, I, It's pretty hard to call something a – a must win when you're a 17 and a half point right. underdog, but I must win from certainly the perspective of, of Notre Dame fans that want to see, you know, we've had people on our message board saying, you know, competing isn't good enough. They got to win the game. Well, you got to compete against the Ohio States before you can beat them. And Notre Dame's average margin of defeat in the last four meetings is 15 and a half points. Yeah. I think com- competing would be a huge step forward. If, if this, game ends the way that the Georgia game ended in 2019. Like I think people forget Notre Dame came out of that game having won a lot of respect. Uh, so the same thing could be true on Saturday night in a loss. Uh, if it looks close, if it's competitive in the fourth quarter, I mean, what would a win mean? It would, I feel like if Notre Dame beats Ohio state, Notre Dame fans will finally know what it felt like for Reggie Bush not to push Matt Leiner in the end zone for more than five seconds before they replayed fourth down like that. That's what it would feel like for the Ray fan base. I think if they lose big, I don't think it's going to change a whole lot of anything because it just sort of reinforces what's already out there. Like everything is sort of the same. Um, it will sort of set the tone where Marcus Freeman needs to take the program in recruiting more than it may set the tone for where he needs to take the program in terms of game day management. Yeah. It'd be a giant thud to lose big though. After eight months, I get the point of this question because one game never defines a season that this is defined nine months of Notre Dame football. This game, it's just a unique situation to open up at number two, Ohio state for even after I have Marcus Freeman be an ex Ohio state player, that's like the least of the stories. Now I I think it comes back. It's more of a story that Marcus Freeman lost his other game that he has the full pass for, right? <laughs> like that, that becomes a thing if you get if you lose by 24 points to Ohio State. Then he's yeah. 0-2 with a blown game and a no-show. So, I, I mean, a win doesn't define the season because he's still got to go beat BYU, Clemson, and USC and avoid an upset. But a win, pretty defining thing. If they go 11-1 and they beat Ohio State, that defines the season at the end of the year. That is the, that is the season-defining moment. Yeah, I, you know, I, this is a, it's a fresh program with Marcus Freeman. So even if it's a decisive loss, I, again, I understand on the outside, what the perspective is, but on the inside, inside, there's a lot of good things happening and the team will just pick up the pieces and, and get back at it again. It's not going to 
it's not going to destroy the season. I thought it was interesting or kind of funny that, you know, here's Marcus Freeman going into this hugely significant game. And he was asked today about what his emotions will be, you know, going back into Ohio, in Ohio stadium and, and that, you know, the, the Ohio state connection and, you know, as a coach, I mean, I'm sure it will, it will occur to him briefly, but he's got so much more to, to be thinking about worrying about other than his emotions about coming back into Ohio stadium. Um, so, you know, but, what will it mean if Notre Dame wins? Uh, you know, we've said this. I mean, they're the talk of college football. They are the talk of college football. And then people will prematurely say, although I can understand why you'd say it, Notre Dame's back. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're big time once again. The schedule is difficult enough here that you just can't assume that a win over Ohio State will take care of everything else down the road, you know, you're still going to, if, you know, if, although if Tyler Buckner plays well in Ohio stadium, certainly that's a springboard for him. The next time they go on the road, which is North Carolina, if they lose big, uh, it'll be another disappointment. Yeah, no, it'll be a, a huge a disappointment. Point. You come out of this game and it's 31, 30, 31, 28. It is like the Georgia situation where Notre Dame was right there in the playoff. Think of it. People talking about them as the number five team until they went into Ann Arbor and got, he pants in the rain. Yeah. I mean, Notre Dame loses a close game. Yeah. They're coming out of there as a very confident football team. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, and it's worth, you know, what, how season defining was it for Oregon that it beat Ohio state last year? They ended up going 10 and four, their head coach left. They lost three <laughs> of their final four games. They got blown out in all three of those losses. So it's just like, it, it's not everything. It, it is a lot. And I think Priester's point is is the best one. Like the sort of PR buzz Notre Dame would get for beating Ohio State would be almost immeasurable. Um, that does not think. make any. That doesn't make you any more likely to beat BYU or Clemson or USC no. later in the year. It doesn't. But like when Notre, when Oregon beat Ohio State, I don't think everybody was thinking well. I guess Oregon's probably the number two team in the country right now. They thought, wow, what's wrong with Ohio State? If Notre Dame beats Ohio State, they're going to think it's a very, very, very good Notre Dame team. Yeah. It'll be, they will be light years ahead of where Oregon was perceived if they pull this game off. That's it for today's Irish Illustrated Insider. We appreciate your questions. We thank you for listening. We'll be back on Thursday after Marcus Freeman's noon Zoom press conference. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>